frankly, my ego is just like gaslighting me constantly. Um, so, so if I, but if I listen to that intuition and I just say yes to whatever that urge is to tell that story, like that's how I do it. And I kind of go into like a weird fucking trance. Hey, thanks for listening. Well, this weekend I survived yet another lap around the sun. And there's something different between going from 55 to 56 that makes me kind of go, whoa, all right, we're heading in a specific direction here. I couldn't be happier with the quality of my creative and personal life now than years ago. So much of that comes from a lot of faith that things will work out. It's a wonderful sense of accomplishment and luxury to chart your own way in life. I appreciate all of my years working for design firms and corporations and freelancing for design firms and corporations, that I see the difference between then and now with greater clarity and a lot more joy. We didn't have a real birthday plan in place because we headed down to Atlanta to go visit Molly's sister, who's going through some pretty significant stuff right now. But my little bonus was I did get to go to a comic shop. Okay, well, two comic shops and picked up a whole bunch of stuff. Between these acquisitions and much of the prep reading I do for the podcast, I'm delving deeper and deeper into the indie comics of old and new. So many things that I didn't get to look at because I have my nose in front of me trying to be a uh, bankable artist to an editor in the 90s. You know, so I missed a bunch of junk. But the other nice half of it is I get to talk to these creators who are making comics that weren't or at least didn't seem to be as prevalent 30 years ago. And today's guest, Kayla E, is one of those people who I probably would have gone to college with somebody like her. I mean, she just has a specific vision. Um, She is utilizing her great graphic design skills her personal story, her artistic inspiration and intuition to create these comics that mean something. They hit so hard, so deep. I mean, I'm really, really affected by them in a way that rarely do the comics hit me. There's, there's, there's substance here. And I feel like our conversation kind of went in that direction. She isn't incredibly uh, giving in this talk to a point where I found myself giving back in a way that I don't always do. And I'm really proud of this talk. And I hope that you enjoy it as much as I do. May we all create something in our life that has this much power. We would all be incredibly lucky if that was the case. So this is me with Kayla E. It's great to see you. I'm trying to remember where you were sitting on the on the floor when we when we met. I'm trying to remember what section you were in. I'm guessing Indy Island. Indy Island. Yeah, they gave me a really great spot right next to Noah Van Skyver, like facing yes. the main aisle. Yes. 
Yeah. I think that's how we met because yeah. you you were like visiting Noah mm-hmm. and I was right next to him. He's so great, isn't he? I love that man. Mm-hmm. I love him so much. He's like one of my favorite people, which is saying a lot. Like, yeah. you, like I mean, like I'm not exaggerating. I think he's like a genuinely wonderful person. Yeah. Uh, and I haven't met his wife in person, but uh, I've communicated with Amy a lot and I'm obsessed with her work. I think their kid is so cute. They're just like such a great family. <laughs> yeah, I, he is. He is just. I remember seeing him the previous year, and then like in that sort of that period of time, I sort of discovered all of what he was doing. I'm like, oh my gosh! And then he sent me um, the Joseph Smith book, and I was just blown away. Like it's wow. so. It, it is. It, it's so hard to write something. <clears throat> surrounding a divisive character and mm-hmm. not have it feel of like a very, like a bias thing in any direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's pretty masterful what he's done yeah. and the fact that he can do that so well, and then also write hilarious fiction and then also write like deeply moving autobio. I mean, it's like, yeah. it's really rare for someone to be able to be that skilled in all of those different areas as a cartoonist. I mean, Mm -hmm. I, for one, can only do memoir. So I definitely, uh, yeah, I'm in awe of him for sure. Yeah, no, I I really just, it is the, that that show is such a great, it's just a great slice of brilliance that you get to step into and look at these people who are doing work that, you know, they're not getting huge attention for. Mm-hmm. But they're doing it at such a high level at whatever whatever the things they're focused on. And Noah just like he puts things out. Like he's not he's he's prolific. It's yeah, amazing. he's extremely prolific. Yes. Yeah, that's the right word for it. But yeah, I love Heroes Con. It's it's one of my favorite fests. The people who organize it have been like exceedingly kind to me and very supportive for a couple years now. Just like they go above and beyond. Uh to make me feel welcome, which is just like, yeah, it's, it, it's been really delightful and surprising and meaningful to me. I, I really, I'm, I hope to always table at that con as long as they'll have me. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, it's to me is seems to be uh kind of a pedigree piece. If you can really be involved with that, I think it's just the right place for so many, I don't know, just like, <sighs> unique talents and I know it's, that sounds very almost vague in a sense but it, it really is what I like to see there like people who you go oh okay like thank you like it's like going yeah, yeah. into a gallery you yeah. know and you see some work and you go whoa what it like I went I was in New York and there was this brief week I went like in August and it was like a million degrees in the city it was horrible and I was having I hated walking to and fro and I walked by this gallery that had been there forever, never really paid attention. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to go inside and go in. And they had just one single piece in the gallery. That's it. Oh, wow. That's bold. <laughs> totally bold. And someone had taken that- basically old VW bug, you know, exterior pieces yeah, and riveted and welded and whatever, whatever, and turned it into a conch shell. Huh. That's and, hard to picture. Six feet. Uh, I have a picture of it. I think somewhere. I'll send it. To, I'll send it to you. Yeah, I'm curious to see that. And it it was. It, and then and then they sort of did this inlay on the inside of. I don't. I don't know. I'm not sure what material they used, 
so it looked had that sort of that really pale buff color to it, that pale sort of peachy buff on the inside, like a shell would. And it was it was really, really captivating. But just that's it. Wow. I mean, it sounds like if you're going to just have one piece in a gallery, that kind of sounds like the piece to put in a gallery. Yeah. It sounds like it like definitely held its own in that space. It, it sounds really lovely. Yeah, it was great. You know, kudos to them. Their <laughs> their desk manner. The guy, the guy had no idea about anything. He had no idea who the artist really was. And I felt oh. like, I was like, oh, this is like, oh, this is a shame because I'm really curious and asking questions and I just, yeah. no answers. But I walked away with a notepad. That was pretty good. They gave me one because they didn't have any oh, business cool. cards. <laughs> okay, not bad. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. I can like, I'm starting to be able to visualize what you're describing. And I, I've like, in my work and like both, my fine artwork and my comics work, which I see is the same thing, but I, I visualize God as a giant oyster. And so I actually have in mind this, uh, I'm planning an exhibition. I'm having a solo show in LA next fall. And I'm actually going to be, I don't know if I'm going to fabricate it or like buy an actual giant oyster, but I have an idea of suspending this oyster like uh, from the ceiling and putting this like little sculptural version of my child self inside of the oyster. Mm -hmm. so uh, to you know represent the image of me being held by god my whole life um so it's just interesting to for you to bring that up um because that's the shape of a shell in space is something i've actively been thinking about so right right yeah. and and also i guess it dovetailing you know tangentially <clears throat> into my wife's piece that i sent you the the image of yeah. her suspended piece like it was you know and it's funny i had a friend who saw the piece the other day and was just as blown away from seeing it in person as they were on images because they had interpreted it as a dimensional sort of like a cone shape that it was going back and it wasn't just this flat disc of hand-woven fiber yeah. and i looked at the picture i'm like oh i can totally see what you're saying i can see that it has a sense of dimension to it so um I love the idea of suspended pieces. And when she's sort of like, Hey, here's my sketch. I'm like, cool. And then I walked and I saw it the next, you know, like next week. And I was like, Oh my God, you know, she made it and installed it in one week. Wow. It was, yeah. Your it wife was a, sounds like a badass. She's a badass. She seems really cool. <laughs> yeah. She's very, she's very cool. And she does some pretty, pretty kick-ass stuff. So I get to, I get to, I get to be front row seat to it. So, which is pretty cool and terrifying yeah. at times, you know, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Well, where do you guys live again? I don't, I keep forgetting. We're, we're in Asheville. Oh, you're in Asheville. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, cool. Wow. I don't actually know if I really registered that for some reason. I thought you lived up North, but wow. That's awesome. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I, my wife usually takes me to Asheville every year for my birthday, which is, uh, coming up in November around Thanksgiving. And this might be the first year we don't go to Asheville. And I'm kind of feeling like maybe we should <laughs> tradition now for years and years and years. We always go to Asheville and we go antiquing and eat at some of my favorite spots. It's just a, a cozy tradition. Yeah, it's a, it's a good it's a really good getaway. It's pretty. It's very yeah. pretty. there. Yeah. So I, I think it's interesting that you say that you how you connect your comics work and your fine art like together, because I remember being introduced to the world of graphic design in the late 90s, like officially understanding what it was. And I 
recall the head of the department. I was teaching there, but I was able to take classes, you know, and audit them. Yeah. So he was like, oh, it'd be really great if you could incorporate your comic book illustration work into your graphic design. And I could not parse that. Like it made no <laughs> sense to me because one was sort of this, they were just very different execution and in, in needs that I couldn't like yeah. jive with. I get it much more so now, but I love that you have that instinct of going out. You can see them both sort of servicing the same thing. Yeah, yeah. I I appreciate you being able to see that. I also definitely empathize with you just like being prompted with that and being like, what the fuck am I supposed to do with that? Because if someone had suggested that to me as like an exercise, I would have been so confused and probably pretty resistant to it. I think the only reason why it works for me is because it just has kind of developed intuitively. It's not a practice that I've ever done intentionally. I just identify as an artist, a creative person. And it depends on like, so the medium I choose, whether it's like comics or sculpture or fiber art or whatever, is just like the medium is in service of the idea. So I'll have the idea and then I'll be like, oh, like, does this make the most sense to communicate this digitally through a comic? Or like, should I make like a giant pillow out of this? Or like, is this a nightgown I'm going to make on my sewing machine? Like, just what, what the fuck is it I'm trying to say? And how can I best like represent it in the real world. Um, and so that's kind of how it, I don't even like, I don't, I try and, and, and communicate to other people that I see it all as the same practice because I know from the outside, people do not see comics and fine art as being the same thing. They are definitely compartmentalized um, and treated very differently by all sorts of people. Um, but I think that I'm, yeah, I'm really actively trying to, uh, I, I'm not letting people separate that. I think when we talk about my work, I, I'm, I really try hard to step out the gate saying it's all one practice, you know, like it or not, mm -hmm. <laughs> fine artists, you're going to have to read my comics if you're interested in my work, you know, um, you know, and the other way around. But cartoonists are more easygoing, I think, than the fine art world. Yeah, sure. I mean, I mean, ugh, I mean, relatively the redheaded stepchildren of, you know, the, the sort of the, the arts, when you get to that, there's been a, there's been such a separation from, you know, like you, you were thinking, it was making me think about like, the second you have some sort of illustrative input into whatever the work is, it ceases being fine art in the eye of the contemporary fine art world. So if you're if the second someone has paid you to do this thing for something, they go, well, it's no longer art and carry on. So to try to bridge that is, is, you know, is really a great challenge. And I get it because I, I see, I don't see execution. I think maybe it's the, the design thing because like when you are, when you're given a project, Sometimes the solution isn't what the client anticipates. They're saying, mm -hmm. hey, we, we mm -hmm. need a brochure. I'm being really pedantic here. But you go, well, yeah, actually, you don't need a brochure here. What you need, it might be this. And then they go, oh, my gosh, that solves the problem. But that thing could be you know, a novelty fly swatter. Who knows? But the point being is it doesn't have to be specifically a thing. And I think I came up with that like sort of observation when I was teaching design, 
I had to figure out how I solved problems because I didn't know how I solved problems because I was handed a script for a comic book and said, okay, we need this in a month. And you go, okay. And you do the work and you solve all these problems, but you don't know how you don't have time to think about it. You just do it. But when you have people sitting in chairs staring at you going, how do I do this? Not the question of drawing comics, but how do I solve problems? You have to kind of look and say, well, what is the goal? So whether you say it's sewing or it's making a piece of furniture or whatever the thing is, you have to figure out how to translate that idea in your head Mm -hmm. into hopefully the best real world application. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's right. I think I'm really lucky in a way, because I like entered the visual arts identifying as a fine artist, which I think in some ways has given me like a lot of freedom and like confidence to feel like I can execute these ideas in any form. Uh, and I think that like I started becoming interested in comics, like seriously interested in comics my freshman year of college and undergrad. And so I was like doing a lot of autobiographical work in my painting and I just like felt like I had permission to just start making comics and seeing that as a part of my larger practice. Whereas I think a lot of people who start as cartoonists, it like there's such a, a, a cultural, like people are so shitty about comics. You know, <laughs> people don't take comic cartoonists seriously. People, I know a lot of cartoonists who don't even feel comfortable identifying as artists, which just like blows my mind. Um, and I, I really, that's, that's crazy. It's, that's so crazy. And, but it's like, I think that that's like the larger, like a societal issue of devaluing the work that we do. So I think depending on like sort of what angle you come into, I don't know. I think I just got lucky coming into the, cause fine artists are just like, there's this confidence that's sort of built into the practice, you know, of, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I find it nauseating, but also liberating, um, if that makes sense. I don't, does that make sense? Yeah, no, because I think there's a very strong cultural framework around fine art to, you know, be ballsy, be brave, do the thing, you know, do the thing like really. I mean, I got, (laughs) I almost, I almost got kicked out of art school because of that, because I thought I was being encouraged to do something and I did something completely foolish, which was, oh Lord, yeah. I mean, it was not a smart move on my half what I did, but the idea, my execution was, was brilliant, but unfortunately I picked the wrong surface to do my idea. And, and I thought like, oh, well, I'm going to be praised for my you know, my boldness. And of course, like the security guard doesn't give a shit about what I was trying to do, but what I was doing was against the, you know, the rules. So, um, it took a lot of, you know, cajoling and backpedaling to, to get out of it. But there is that thing that like, if you are breaking the rules, whatever they may be as an artist, you are praised for that effort. And I think that's especially in our sort of postmodernist era of art. Like it's not a hundred years ago where people going like, what are you doing? Why, why, you know, you know, looking at, you know, even go before that with the Fauvists, you know, like people would freak, you know, freaking out because you're just painting in color versus form, you know? Um, So I, I get that. So, I mean, for you to say, all right, well, I'm going to like, and it's, 
it is autobiographical for the most part, fine art. I mean, unless you're just painting landscapes. Yeah. I, for, even then. Yeah. No, for <laughs> you sure. Know, even then. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I absolutely, I mean, I really, I think it, from personal experience, all the art I've made has definitely been an exploration of the self in some way. Yeah. Even though, I mean, at this point, everything I do is pretty explicitly about the self. It's yeah. All, all of my work, I think I've mentioned is entirely autobiographical mm -hmm. memoir comics and even my visual art paintings about my spiritual experiences and uh, textile work about God and just uh, a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff like that. But I definitely am looking through that lens um, pretty explicitly. I, because I mean, in the comic book, book work, it is, it's, it, 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 it's clear what you're, what yeah. you're saying. And yeah. even though I see you working at two or three levels in the same piece, like you are telling a visual linear narrative in a piece, majority linear, then you're having a narrative, you know, narrative going on. And then you have the verbal narrative that's going on. So there are, and they aren't all exactly the same thing. Like they are working at different levels, which is kind of, it's cool. Thank you. I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's nice. Well, yeah. It's a hard, it's a hard tightrope to walk. It sure is. Yeah. It's the only way I'm interested in telling my stories at this point and in, in my creative practice though. Uh, it's just the way my brain is working right now. It's not even something that like it's making comics is just difficult. I think just it's, well, the kind of comics I make are just extremely triggering to write and to, to draw. But I don't actually find the, the, the building of the comic difficult. It's like very instinctual. Like I just am like drawn to certain decisions that as long as like I follow my impulses and I follow whatever sort of instinct um, I have, that's like kind of putting me in the directions to like pulling out like this public domain imagery and like working from this and then like using this kind of color palette, like, like all those things. It's just kind of like, if I say yes to whatever my impulse is, the piece makes sense. The comic makes sense. Uh, mm -hmm. and, it, and it ends up being like compelling and uh, multi-layered. Uh, and I think that, Ultimately, like the the format or the, the way that I choose to approach my stories, I, I'm trying to communicate like the existential experience of trauma and not just like the literal experience of it. Um, and I so I never like really draw explicitly what happened to me. Like I'll draw scenes of violence, but they're usually like contextualized within some kind of like uh, story. Like so th there's a scene where my mother spanks me at the end of this like uh, Cinderella story but it's within the narrative of it. And it's not actually like a drawing of when my mother used to beat me, you know? Um, so I find that like working in this way and like pulling all of these different elements and like referencing different things with the text and with the images, it really has, it really has been an effective vehicle for communicating pain. Um, at least that's what my readers have told me. Um, and, and I believe, cause I've read my work back and it's so utterly, distressing <laughs> like it just like sends me into a spiral and i'm like oh my fucking god this is like horrific <laughs> you know um so i think i'm onto something somehow yeah it, well, yeah and i can vouch for it. it it's it's rough and it you know it forces it, it for me it forces a sense of examination into my own upbringing 
fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cause I, lo- I, I read it and I go, and while I don't have all these, you know, parallels, but I have events in my life that you go, yeah, that really probably wasn't the best thing to do, you know, for, for a parent to do, but you, you don't know any better when you're a kid, you, you just make the best of it. You know, I mean, the, you had a page where you had all these notes that, you know, were written to your mother when you would go away to your father's for the weekend. And that whole sensibility of worrying about your parent, you know, is a very strange dynamic. And I, you know, and I can recall that because on more than one occasion, my parents were really, really uh, super depressive. And it was very hard being a kid, you know, engaging with that because, you know, I would spend Saturday mornings and Sunday mornings trying to wake my dad up, like to get him out of bed. That's a lot, dude. Because he wouldn't get up. And it's just one of the, but when you're like nine or 10, there's no framework for you to go like, well, this is just screwed up. You know, you're going to have to figure this one out yourself, man. And what, you know, none of that stuff happens. You just, you do the song and dance, you know, Hey, you know, whatever it is to make, to make the event you know, the outcome be what the outcome should be. I don't know. Um, you know, it's just that kind of stuff. And you examine, you go, Oh fuck, you know? <laughs> like, so, so your, your work is, is a, it's evocative in that sense. You know, okay. yeah. you're, I guess if someone's open to it, it's evocative. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's, that's really interesting to hear that echoes uh, a lot of what I've heard from, from some of my readers. Um, and I've had like pretty intimate experiences connecting with people, uh, I mean, I've had I've had folks disclose to me about being survivors of childhood sexual abuse, like for the first time in their lives after reading my work. Um, so I definitely believe that. Yeah. That if you're open to it and I think even some people who aren't open to it, it just pulls shit out for better or for worse. Like, I think that. My 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 only intention with creating this work and <laughs> Re- revisiting my childhood trauma and putting it out there for the world uh, is to help people understand what they've been through. So the fact that like you and like other people have been able to like communicate to me that they've thought deeply about their childhood or have remembered something in my experience, naming what happened to me and like being able to name like, Oh, that was trauma has been extremely helpful in my recovery. Like, I don't know how to heal if I don't know what the fuck happened to me, you right. know? Um, that's been my experience. That's been my experience. Um, like it wasn't until I was able to identify that I was a survivor of incest that any recovery was even remotely possible because mm-hmm. I was just an active addiction, you know, trigger warning, super suicidal. Um, I was closeted. I, I, my life was, I was on the brink of death and I had no idea why. I did not know what I thought my family was fine. I thought my life was fine. Like I didn't get it, you know, Sure. Um, until a friend, she, uh, I told, like, I, I just kind of had talked to her about what my childhood was like a little bit. And she used that word and it was the first time I'd ever associated it, you know? So like that naming was so profoundly traumatizing for me, but also was the catalyst for healing. Um, and so my great hope and prayer for the work that I'm putting out there is that I make it with an intention of like deep love and care for my reader, even though I know it's a brutal experience to read it. Um, and so my great hope is that 
I'm not causing harm to the reader in a way that like isn't hopeful. Does that make sense? Yeah, like, yeah. is it harmful to revisit childhood trauma? So I'm not like, I don't have any illusions about the impact of reading it, but I do not want to cause harm to survivors. Like I only want to mirror them. Um, and it's, it's a, it's a really intense practice for sure. Yeah. I, the, the thing I kept, you know, as I've read your work, I, you know, there's, you know, because you can feel, you can feel your internal like defenses raise when, when uncomfortable subjects come up and, you, you know, so, you know, and there's this clever trick you do, which is to have a very happy, consistent color palette. Yeah. Your shapes, your shapes are all very pleasing to look at, except for the ones that are intentionally not. Right. So there's this sort of like, you know, you know, subterfuge that you're employing as a designer and as an illustrator yeah, yeah, yeah. that is like, I'm going to a, we're, you know, the spoonful of sugar, you know, like you're, you're mm -hmm. doing that. But the sense of bravery that I just keep getting when I read it, I'm like, like, it's so like, because it's so hard to say anything that is remotely like, I mean, I guess maybe like on the exterior, because you're not, you probably aren't, at this point aren't framing it as vulnerability. Oh, it's vulnerability. Okay. Okay. Cause I'm, cause I'm, cause I'm oh, yeah. saying, cause I'm thinking like you could also be like, well, I'm moving past the, the vulnerable aspect. I've, like, you have to be vulnerable to become strong, you mm -hmm. know, that kind of, that kind of approach. But for everybody who may not be there, and I'm not saying I am, but like you go, oh, that's wow. Like you, that the vulnerability aspect is just like a gulf, you know, open there. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That is a really poignant perspective. And one that I don't know if I've really considered. Um, Cause when I'm, you know, thinking about the work, I'm definitely thinking about it from my own place in my recovery. And it's like, it's real fucking hard to make this stuff like and I think, again, I'm a very spiritual person because I'm an alcoholic and it's the only way I stay sober, which means the only way I stay alive. So I have this like I talk about God a lot and I have like a very intense spiritual practice because I don't want to die. It's just it's that simple for me. Seems um, yeah, um, you know, it's just pragmatic. But so I have decided to identify my creative impulses um, and instincts as uh, messages from like my higher power. So when I am disclosing like a horrific event from my childhood, like like my ego is like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, do, do not visit that. Don't look at that. How dare you open that door? Like, like, what are you doing? This is nothing but trouble, you know, and this is no one's business. And like, you don't need to see that. And it didn't happen. Frankly, my ego is just like gaslighting me constantly. <laughs> sure. Um, so, so if I, but if I listen to that intuition and I just say yes to whatever that urge is to tell that story, like that's how I do it. And I kind of go into like a weird fucking trance. Like I get a little dizzy and stuff and I'm just like banging it out, you know, like writing these stories and like composing these comics and, and, and doing like all the labor and time intensive work that goes into um, crafting one of these stories. And it just ends up there. And I end up having it there. And I kind of come out of that daze and I'm like, what did I just do? <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. like, and I used to go back in and edit shit out. Cause I was like, like after I would like have one of these creative experiences or whatever. And I'd be like, there's no, like, there's no way I'm ready to talk about that. Yeah. So I would, 
I would just cut stuff, you know? Um, and I've, I've gotten further along in my like recovery, both in my sobriety and, and my trauma um, recovery that I've, I've revisited the work that I've censored and I've uncensored it. And I've actually gone deeper into the work because um, I'm just at a different place now, uh, you know, mental health wise, where I'm able to have this written down and put in a book forever. You know, like I take it real seriously. It's it's so serious what I'm doing. Like it's a real big deal. Um, and I don't have any family anymore. You know, I don't yeah. have any family. So these decisions I'm making creatively are not just like <clears throat> intellectually interesting to me. Like they have very serious real life implications. Um, yeah, yeah. So it, my point being just that like that's sort of the perspective I'm in and I'm not really thinking about how that vulnerability is perceived by other people, you know, by my readers. And I definitely can see that as being like, whoa, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> holy shit, how did she go there? Um, yeah. And frankly, I, I think I've only ever seen it from myself as I kind of get it because I, I I see I, I think that about myself sometimes. Um, and it's really weird. <laughs> it's yeah. Really- well, like, there's one thing you mentioned there and I've and it, it, I've mentioned it myself. And I think it's a common thing if you can get in that space. And I find it with I, I found it. I remember noticing it first with drawing and and I get it with writing. It's that you said it as dizzy. I get it as a sensation of like a roller coaster right before you the drop, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. No, I, I get that. And I think that's the space, this sort of liminal space of creativity where the stuff is just coming out. And right. you have this sense of, I don't even know if you have a sense of mastery, but everything is coming together and works so well. And I know flow state or whatever you call it, yeah. but like, but there is a physiological sensation that I get when I'm in that zone. And it's, yeah, you told, that's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah. 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 It's, it's the best. So a couple of things that you mentioned, um, and I guess I'll go back, but like you said about like, not even like recognizing it or acknowledging it as a name, you know, whatever form of abuse or whatever the, the trauma source was, but like, it made me think of like that ancient sort of magic concept with demons that if you have the true name of a demon, you can control it. Ooh, that's good. Uh, I don't know about that. So like, that's the classic sort of thing. If you have the name of the demon, then when you summon the demon, you can control the demon. The demon can do your bidding. And to me, that's like, that's what that, that, that's what it is. Like in Mm -hmm. us, our own demons, and it ties directly into that recovery thing of you are as sick as your secrets. Exactly. So yep. the demon is a secret. Yep. And if yep. you can name it, yep. you you can gain power over it. Yep. It's not to say yeah. that you're you win immediately, but it's it's you know, the 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 you have a tool to work with. I, yeah, hope hope like 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 that freedom from that pain is possible. Yeah. Like it, like true authentic freedom from the pain. Because I know that. Like there are ways of living with the trauma um, without sort of like going deeper. Mm-hmm. And for me, it wasn't effective because like the only tool, well, it was effective up until a point, but I used I used alcohol to cope with it um, right. and be able to like live like a semi-functioning life. Like, oh, like, hi, I'm Kayla. Like, 
I, I'm a college student, you know, like I look normal because I'm in college, you know, um, but I, I think that without doing any sort of deep introspective work, I was able to like rely on drugs and alcohol as uh, as a tool to carry that pain with me. And I think a lot of people, most people don't get to the point where they're able to, where they're willing to name it, are able to name it, first of all, willing to name it, second of all, and then like have the resources and like, like stamina to do the work of recovery. Like, it's just so difficult to do this work. Like, my God, it's so hard. It's so hard. Uh, I think it's, 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 it's one of the hardest things I've ever done, um, is, is moving through trauma work. Uh, it's so easy to not do it. <laughs> you know, yep. uh, it's literally like every person's worst nightmare, uh, to identify and, um, you know, try and move through this stuff. But, but yeah, I don't know if that made sense. No, it, it, it does. I, I mean, I think that like, I think we as people can change, but we, but it is so against our, and you know, evolutionary, you know, survival yeah. mechanisms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Change is not what we aim for. Like, no, even we're, right. inc- we're we're adaptable. But yeah, change yeah. is different than adapt adapting to things. Exactly. Like, hey, it's cold. I'm going to build a shelter. I'm going to go inside. Uh-huh. But like, if there's like physical or emotional trauma, we build a shelter and we shove it in there. You know. Exactly. And so it's, it's this kind of interesting thing. And you were saying about the stamina, like it's also, that's the stamina it takes to be a creator. Like people Mm -hmm. who create stuff are willing to go through the suffering that it takes to make something. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Yeah. So, and that's not to say that people who are creative have a better advantage at, at, at some sort of recovery process. I don't think that's the case. Um, but it's something that somebody can quickly attach to go, okay, well, if it took me this long to do something, I think I, you know, at least to me, I'm saying, Hey, it gives you a fighting chance. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've never really thought about it that way, but it is interesting. I started making precious rubbish as a series when I was in active addiction and still like actively like involved with my bio family, like, my bio mom had cancer and I was taking care of her kidney cancer. Um, and, um, I just was living with my bio dad. It just was a fucking nightmare, you know, but I was, so I started making these comics in the midst of all that, in the middle of it, like shutting my laptop and then like going and seeing my fucking creepy ass dad, you know, I'm like, anyway, it just was really weird, um, to be making that work at that time. And, I think that like, now that I look back at it, it's like what, whatever compelled me to do that, to face <laughs> what I, whatever I could understand of what had happened to me at that time. I really, I really do think that that has contributed to my ability and like willingness to recover. Mm. Like there's something, there was something so terrifying about making these comics i had this was before i had words for anything too like the very first pages of my books which i don't think are i sent to you in that excerpt but the very first pages of my book those are the comics i made at that time and they're like there's so much subterfuge like things are so hidden and you can tell that like 
I'm not saying it, you know? Um, and I just am really, you saying that just like makes me feel like really connected to that Kayla, you know, mm. and her ability to make that work at that time. Cause there is something like really brave about that. Yeah. And I definitely think that that's informed my ability to, to get sober and, and, and not want to die anymore for sure. Well, there's yeah. a, there's a level of self art therapy that you were employing unconsciously. I'm, I'm, it yeah, sounds like yeah. that you were just putting some sort of expression out there for yourself to say, trying to make sense of things. Yeah, it, that's right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's fascinating. And you know, how powerful I think the creative process is mm -hmm. for so many people, you know, when, when someone can open up to it, you said that you, excuse me, that you engaged with comics, I guess your freshman year of undergrad. Mm -hmm. So what were the things that you were engaging with and what did you, like, what did you see in comics that made you go, Oh, I, this is, this is not just high and lowest in the cartoon, you know, in the newspaper. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love talking about this. Uh, so growing up, you know, I read like a lot of mid-century kids comics. So I did have access to, and like, like a visual understanding of high quality work. Um, and there was a used bookstore chain called half price books, uh, that I would go to. And, and the first experimental comic I ever read was Leviathan by Peter Blegvad, which I don't know people like nobody really talks about that book, but that book is like so fucking good uh, and was really transformative for me and like how I like thought about visual storytelling. And there's like a lot of like, I think that his work is really complicated and I'd never seen anything like it before. I didn't know that comics could really like look like that or tell stories like that. Um, and so that was the very first sort of like art comic that I read. And then years went by and uh, in undergrad, there was in, in Cambridge, there's this little comic book shop. Uh, what's it fucking called? Oh man. It's uh, Ray Brad. It's based on the Ray Bradbury story. Millionaire picnic. Millionaire picnic is what it's called in Cambridge. And I, I started going there a lot. And like, I would like sit in the little art comic section and I had, I was so fucking poor. I mean, no money, like <laughs> no money. So I couldn't buy anything. Um, but the sweet owner would just let me sit there and like read. So I did, didn't know what I was like doing. I didn't know who any of these, like, you know, the classic cartoonists were. I just was kind of like pulling different things. And then uh, I signed up for the seminar, this comic seminar, my freshman spring, I think it was. So this is second semester. I kind of had a little bit of an interest in comics under my belt. And then this class blew my mind. So I, I can't remember the professor's name, Catherine Stanton. I do remember. I think her name was Catherine Stanton. Um, the seminar was incredible. And I read Jimmy Corrigan by Chris Ware for the first time. Okay. And that, that was like my world pivoted on its axis. I was like, this is the highest art of all art comics. <laughs> if you like what this, I just had never been like so fully transformed by a work of art, like on every level. Like, I don't know how, like comics can do that. Comics can like get in a person in a way that I don't think, I'm sorry. I don't think anything else can like music a little bit, but not even close. Like, I think comics is just so, brilliant in that way and of course like 
Chris Ware is just like so good at the form. Um, and that story just, I just felt so moved um, by that book. And it just lit a fucking fire under my ass. And I was like, this is the best art form period comics and I have to try it. So I made my first little comic. I remember in my dorm room, I was drinking <laughs> vodka and I was sitting on my shitty little bed and I drew this character. I was like trying to figure out like who my self-portrait character is. And she ended up being whale girl. She was half whale, half girl, naked girl. She had a, a, a pipe and a little top hat, just like, you know, classic millennial kind of fucking imagery but um that was my self-portrait character and and i drew a couple strips like just like three paneled strips i filled this sketchbook and those strips actually i redrew and are in my book as well um so this like a little secret treat in there for my younger self but uh yeah so that's kind of how it started is uh really i'd, I'd say peter blegvad in the beginning, like I wouldn't have taken this class, I don't think, without having read Leviathan when I was like, you know, 14. Um, and then Chris Ware is absolutely the reason I'm a cartoonist. Um, singularly. Yeah. At that time, because then there were others who came and have since become as important to me um, as him. But he definitely, yeah, he was the, he was the catalyst. Well, it's, it, it's, it's interesting when you can um, sort of come into contact with some of the sort of the apex predators, you know, in any sort of medium, you know, and you go, Oh, well, like, I'm sure like the more people who come in contact with his work get scooped up because of just, yeah. it's, it's done at such a high level at every, le you know, at every point. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, <laughs> we all wonder how he does it. It's just, <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> I know. And he's such a nice man, too. He's such a nice man. I was I had a lot of gumption when I was uh, a youngster. Um, and I I ended up like I used to say that I, I, I took a gap year, but really I dropped out because I was having a mental health crisis. But so I dropped out of Harvard for a year after my sophomore year. And I ended up um, I don't I was like a little homeless for a while. It just was a mess. But I was also writing comics like I was like really seriously spending that year um making zines like little mini comics just like the ugliest fucking things but i was trying so hard and i tracked down <laughs> tracked down chris Ware's information and i emailed that motherfucker and i asked him if i could send him my comics and he said yes and dude ever since then we've been pen pals i nice. swear to fucking god it's the craziest thing like it's been well over 10 years that he's been like writing to me and like i send him all my new shit and he writes back and i've got this stack of like postcards and little drawings and he sends me like little rare ephemera it's just so cool i'm so grateful because i'm not that person anymore um who i was when i was 19 years old right. but i don't think i would do that now but i'm glad i did it then i did it with a lot of cartoonists so i have this <sighs> like roster of <laughs> insane talent that has like mentored me through my whole sort of cartooning uh I, not career because I haven't had one, but cartooning my my life as a cartoonist, I'd mm -hmm. say. Well, yeah. I think it's I think the classic line of game recognizes a game. I I don't think you can get anywhere in whatever creative field you are choosing to enter without having so much guts and bravado to do the ridiculous to make those phone calls, to right. write those emails, to whatever the thing is. I mean, because, yeah, I mean, 
dude, so many occasions I can think of when I was young that yeah. I would have to, I'm like, like I met my mentor that way. I just oh, that's so cool. emailed my men, I emailed phone call. There was no emails back then. Alex, what are you saying? Um, I was calling my mentor almost every single day at oh his office until oh when he finally called me back at the door, you know, at the, you know, the, the floor, floor, you know, phone for the dorm room, you know, like oh someone's like, God, knock, knock, so knock. Hey, you got a phone call and you get them, you know, and the, you know, okay. So who are you? Why are you calling me all the time? Like it was, you know, but that kind of stuff is what gets you in the door. It's what gets you somewhere because everybody who has gotten somewhere realizes they had to do that too. Nobody was handed mm-hmm. something. Nobody who of merit was handed anything. That's right. Yeah. And I think that like when you, so someone like Chris or anybody else, so if somebody started, you know, I don't know, Snapchatting you, because I guess that's what the next generation do. Not, I know they don't do that anymore. <laughs> I think that's younger than me. I'm not on Snapchat. I know, but you were younger than Chris. So like it's that's the true. next, yeah. you know, you're, you're moving up, but that person starts reaching out to you in right, some fashion, right. you're not going to go like, Oh, stop bothering me, kid. You're going to yeah, go, yeah, you know what? I remember being that way. Oh, yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, in some ways, like, I don't, I don't necessarily celebrate that that's what it takes to, um, you know, I don't know, make it or whatever. Because like, I, I, during the time when I, what I didn't have that gumption to put myself out there, I was still making high quality work, mm-hmm. but no one, I, no one was reading it, you know, cause I was like, I had a lot going on mental health wise. And so I just didn't have that like clarity of mind to like prioritize my career in any way, you know? Sure. And I think that there are so many like brilliant artists out there who like are not at a place where they, would be like, hey, Chris Ware, do you want to read my comics? But like, fuck, Chris Ware really should read their comics. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's totally, like, totally. Yeah. And, we're, and listen, we're not advocating everybody who listens to this to cyber stalk Chris Ware and send him your stuff. Um, I think it's impossible to track him down now. Yeah. Right, <laughs> He's right. probably He's, yeah. Unless you have a, a telegraph machine, you're not getting in. Um, yeah. But it's like, it's super, like, but the, and, and stuff, listen, I get it. Not everybody has that internal idiotness that is able to go like, eh, what's the, right. way? you know, I mean, like, exactly. I, because I, I don't, I don't think I took into account the sort of the, the, you know, the sort of the second order effect of what I was doing. You know, my goal was this and I'm going to do this. And so reality be damned. And that's kind of sort of the, the guiding principle, but <laughs> It's not always the smartest move, but, and, and I, and I get that and everybody can just jump in and do something reckless. And, uh, right, right, so right. I don't want to, I don't want to make someone who is afraid of doing that feel terrible because it, they shouldn't. <laughs> no, it's a really buck wild thing to do. <laughs> yeah, totally. Totally. Yes. Yes. So yes. I'm oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no. I mean, so I'm, tr- I'm just trying to kind of form it together. You gapped, you, you know, gap year, um, yeah. you know, nice thing about, those kinds of schools, they're happy to have you come back. They're oh, not they're, a, they're desperate to have you come back. Yes. Yeah, they don't want uh, dropout rates to go high, so they're yeah. like, "Please come back." Oh yeah, no, and and we will officially write down gap year. You know, I mean, like there's yes. th- they're very accommodating in that respect. Um, yeah. 
I knew how to sell it for sure. For sure. Totally. They, listen, they had they had a brochure ready for you if you didn't know. So. <laughs> yeah. So what were you studying there in your undergrad? Visual art, which they called it just classic fucking pretentious Ivy, visual and environmental studies. Yes. What does that mean? Um, But so there were two different like branches of that. And so I did the studio art branch. Uh, So I was like, I, I learned traditional, like really traditional oil painting, color mixing, how to build stretchers, just like classic sort of fine artist, uh, education um which was great actually was really great i i love the art program there and it's the 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 i mean wow my gpa outs like i had a 4.0 in my department and outside of that i won't even tell you i mean i was struggling you know i was I really really struggling um and that department and like the professors that i had there were just really great and they saw me and they saw my work and they saw what i was trying to do and they just like were fucking kind and supportive um and that was really important for me at that time um and i hustled man i hustled and i worked so hard i was so scrappy i was sleeping in the studio like wow like not even going to bed just like crashing getting up making art like one of those types of kids, you know, uh, chain smoking and like taking shots and just like painting, um, making absolutely horrific art too. It's so funny looking back at my undergraduate work and like these professors took me seriously because they were nice people, you know, but I mean like just graphic violent scenes of just like torture and rape. And I would make these like sculptural paintings. I don't even want to describe to you what it looked like. And it was like eight feet tall, weighed like 300 pounds and had like a giant sculptural violent figures coming out, like doing, committing horrible violence. (laughs) And uh, I just got taken seriously as an artist. And like, that's pretty fucking rad, you know, Um, and was really important to like build that, that foundation of, of uh, confidence, I think maybe is the word, but just like maybe self-delusion that like I can just like I'm just gonna make whatever I want to make like I'm just gonna explore those instincts I think like permission that's the word yeah that kind of respect gave me permission to make the art that I think I've always needed to make um and not everybody has had that experience at Harvard specifically in that department I don't know why I had I honestly don't know why maybe I had good luck with the particular professors that uh, I worked with but I know a lot of people who have a, a very different perspective uh, to say about their time and, and VES at Harvard at the, during the time that I was there. Hmm. So I definitely am not speaking with like a broad strokes at all, just only my personal experience. Hmm. That, so did you go, did you transition straight to a grad program or did you go out? No, I did and- not go to grad school. Oh, you didn't. Okay. All right. So oh, you, no, no. so you, you hopped out and then yeah. what was your, what was your worldview at that point of what was going to happen to me? Yeah, <laughs> man, dude, I did not fucking know. Uh, yeah. Well, it like shit hit the fan for me, uh, mental health wise, which is why I dropped out. Cause I, I tried my hand at therapy for the first time. And unfortunately like the mental health services, uh, at my school, we're not equipped for the kind of like tremendous trauma that I was bringing to the table. And so during intake, like 
it was like, have you ever experienced this? Has this ever happened to you? Do you have this? Like, do you do this? Do you engage with this? Like all those things. It was just like, check, 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 check. I'd never had an inventory like that mm. in my life. I had never even known that my answer, that the answer yes to these questions indicated that anything was wrong with me. You know, I just had never considered my drinking, had never considered whatever, you know, all that stuff that kids do um, that's not safe. And I, that's what really uh, was a trigger for like a, a very serious mental health crisis because um, I had no tools to then deal with the aftermath of recognizing all the shit that I had survived. Um, it, it was a mess. It's, you know, what it, you know what I, it, what pops in my head and it's, <laughs> I don't mean it to sound simplified here, but it's like Wile E. Coyote goes running out mm. and standing in space and doesn't realize that he's he's floating so high in the sky until he looks around and says, oh, my God, and then falls. And like, yeah. so you didn't even know you were sort of like, I, you may not even recognize the danger that you were in, maybe. Absolutely. Major yeah. degree. Yeah. Yeah. It's I'm obsessed with the fact that you brought up Wiley Coyote because like I think about Wiley Coyote so much, like in terms of like that visualization specifically of the anvil too, mm -hmm. and like how that relates to my work. So just fucking awesome that you thought of that. Um, but yeah, no, I had no idea what that meant. Um, I didn't know what was going on with me. I didn't know. I like entered a pretty severe, uh, like dissociative state um, after that. And I remember trying to reach out to my therapist and he told me to go to the, uh, emergency services. And I was like, I'm not, I'm not going to, I don't want to do that. That sounds scary. Um, and so just, I just wasn't doing very well, you know, in the aftermath of that, like wasn't uh, attending my classes, uh, wasn't able to socialize. And I had like a lot of commitments. Um, I was in a lot of organizations cause I was a real go-getter. Um, and I was not meeting any of my responsibilities. And I saw that and I was like, I'm not okay. And like, this is a waste. Like I'm wasting this tremendous opportunity. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, this was towards the end of that semester and um, I finished it out. And then I had, I apply, I was, I'm just scrappy, you know, I don't have any, I never had any money, but I applied for a bunch of like grants and like extra little like funds and stuff. So I could have money during this year. And so I got like a pretty fat wad of a few thousand dollars. That is what I lived on um, during my dropout year. Okay. And so I, I, I got like this like fancy uh, grant, the artist development fellowship. That's what it's called at Harvard. Uh, during my gap year to self-publish comics. Um, so I was able to like present it in this way that like still wasn't like, sh I didn't want to be vulnerable. I didn't want people to know what was going on with me. Um, and so like, as someone who was able to get into Harvard, I knew how to like move within that world. Um, so I knew what to say and I knew how to sell it and I knew how to spin it. And uh, I was able to like take a leave without anyone thinking that I was the fucking basket case, you know, um, instead it looked like real good, like real good on paper. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I ended up actually having an, that summer I had an internship at picture box. So I've, I got to work at picture back box back in the day. Um, like directly with Dan Adel, it was really, really wild experience, um, interning for him in New York city. And then I went home and then, so I had that entire, uh, academic year, um, in Texas. And that's when 
things were a real, they, they, I was really bad. There was a really bad time in my life personally. Very bad, very dangerous, very dangerous, very dangerous things. Very bad things happened to me. Um, mm. and I miraculously managed to crawl my way back to school. Um, miraculous, absolutely am so stunned that the, me at that time was able to even physically get to Massachusetts. Like, yeah, that's amazing. And I graduated, you know, um, I graduated, man, I've got that fucking degree and nobody can take it away from me. You know, um, I fought hard for that. It didn't, it was not easy. Um, yeah. So that's sort of what that looks like. Yeah. I, it's, I'm so, I mean, it, I, I'm sorry that that, I mean, what that you were going through. Cause I mean, I, I can only imagine. Um, yeah, I, but I, I get, you know, you know, being a child of an alcoholic, like I'm hearing, and as the aforementioned depressive parents, like I can, you know, you were saying, Oh, I know how to work the system. I'm like, yeah, of course you do. You like, you were given mm-hmm. all of the, that you were given the top hat, the cane, all the dancing shoes. Like you knew how to make all the moves to do the thing to, stop the problems from happening or whatever it was. Yeah. I, I yes. Like that is, that's exactly right. Yeah. You nailed it. That's exactly right. And I know a lot of like people who come from like, just like fucked up childhoods are so wily like us. Like they just like, they know, they know how to survive. Like we had no choice. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like I became like very good at stealing because I was a hungry child. You know what I mean? And so like, there's just a lot that the ability to like be a successful kleptomaniac is something you can kind of carry into your, your life, like later on, like trying to survive and like get by in other situations, you know, like that's just an example. I'm an AA. I've made amends for all of that stuff. Um, and, and absolutely no longer steal and do not condone it. It's just an example of, some, you know, something I had to do for survival that formed my personality, you know, Um, and definitely allowed me to, yeah, no, I was just a scrappy kid. I was just a lot, you know, just, I was just alone. (laughs) Nobody, (laughs) nobody, literally no one brushing my hair. Um, So it was that kind of picture. Well, so you got, so you got out of Harvard, like, what were you, like, what were you aiming for? Like, I mean, clearly you were, had comics in mind, but you're also expressing yourself as a, as a fine artist. Like, were you, did you feel a duality there or did you sort of like say, Hey, I'm just going to carry this. I'm going to head straight to New York city and do a thing. Or what was it? Oh, if only God, um, I wasn't even thinking about my art to tell you the truth. Um, so before like, just before it became real, like that I was going to leave this sort of like structure that gave me a sense of like safety and yeah. just, just like uh, scaffolding. I thought I had these dreams, like I'm going to go move to Berlin and like, I'm going to be an artist and I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. I've made it this far. Like, why can't I just like continue? And I'm looking at my peers and they're all like moving to these big cities and they're having shows and they have studios and they're just like, getting you know written about and in magazines and it turns out they're all like very wealthy and like have trust funds and stuff and like i just didn't know i was young i didn't know that that's what you needed to be an artist you know um and so i didn't have any of that obviously so here comes like end of my senior year and i'm like fuck like where what am I, literally what am i gonna do i have no money i my yeah. family is like they don't love me and no one's gonna help me i have 
my mentor at the time, I had this amazing mentor who died of pancreatic cancer, but like, he was the person who like, I went to, you know, where I was mm -hmm. like, he was like my, my, my dad in a way, you know, like, like the safe version of a dad. Um, and he wasn't there anymore. And so then my bio mom had, uh, got diagnosed with kidney cancer. Um, and so I moved to Texas gotcha. and like I said, I had no money. Um, I filled up, uh, my shitty little fucking 2003 Nissan Sentra with like as much art as I could take home. Um, and I moved into my bio dad's house and that house that I was raised in where all of the sexual abuse occurred. Um, which of course <sighs> didn't even have the words for that. Okay. So like I'm in active addiction. My, my dreams are just like dissolving in front of me. And I, I, I have, I, I have, I'm floundering. I have no idea what to do. Um, and I'm also closeted and I'm in a relationship that in retrospect was not healthy. Um, and, uh, so I'm living at my bio dad's and, uh, not sleeping and can't get a job, like really fucking floundering. Like why? no idea what I was going to do. Um, and weird thing happened is that I had a friend, well, like a, a not, a, I didn't even really know them as friends, but some acquaintances had reached out and offered me the chance to take over an art and literary magazine and not like it wasn't a nonprofit yet, but it's a volunteer project. And so this was soon after I graduated and I said, yes, cause it gave me a thing to like look at every day, you know, like, Oh, I now run this magazine. Like it's gives me an identity. Mm -hmm. Um, and that definitely was an anchor for me for the ye years. I ran that magazine for about 10 years. Uh, I actually recently stepped down. Wow. Um, yeah. And I turned it into like a really successful nonprofit. We've won like really prestigious grants. It was, so at the time that was like my everything. I put my whole spirit and body and soul into this magazine called nap root um and eventually like through that was able to like meet people who that gave me the idea to freelance design so i taught myself design i was like i no this being an artist shit is not working like how i can't get a studio i'm literally like making art in the my childhood bedroom where i got molested like this is not what i had in mind right. you know this isn't like a studio in berlin like it's just it's not it really is. And that house was disgusting, dude. Like so dirty. I don't have to get into it. Yeah. It's all in my book. Um, but so I'm making work there and it just, so I start, I'm like, this isn't happening. I'm not making it as an artist and I don't even know where to start. So I taught myself design YouTube, fucking YouTube. And yeah. I was like, I got to make money. You know, I got to move out of my dad's house. So so I start freelancing as a graphic designer and being able to like use my contacts at this magazine to kind of kickstart. Um, like the first gig I had was through like a little like literary uh, program. And that was like my first like gig, you know, I made like mm -hmm. maybe $300 from it, but like it got me going. Um, yeah. And so then I just was like, that's kind of how I made living from there on out, like meager living about max before I got sober, I, the max I ever made was about 13 grand before I got sober. And this right. is, this is an adult woman with a Harvard degree. You know, that's how mentally ill I was. It was, I was struggling. Um, but yeah, so I, I, I just nurtured that magazine and like worked as often as I could. Um, 
to make some money. And uh, so that was the years after college. Um, yeah, I moved out of my dad's house and I just was continuing to live with this um, this man. And I, I, I was with him on and off for about eight years, uh, drinking myself to death uh, and, you know, um, enjoying uh, codeine as well. So that's kind of what my life looked like. <laughs> I wasn't in New York to answer right. your question. Okay, well, that's all right. Um, but it's it you know thinking about that magazine, like how that ties into what you were saying about yourself, like if I'm profiling here, but like you know the, taking the scrappy aspect and then that sort of that that sense of. Ta- you know, taking on too many, you know, clubs and activities that, that, <laughs> but you were able to marry the scrappy thing with this sort of extraneous thing, which was this, you know, this sort of volunteer magazine opportunity, but yeah. you were able to take that and then continually like work that towards something versus, right. you know, because younger you would have just been distracted by that. And, Mm-hmm. not progressing on something, but you were able yeah. to sort of like see that, I guess, as some sort of like internal lifeline that Absolutely. you could at least hang on to this, stay focused on that. I mean, it's like, you know, I'm not in recovery, so I don't know all the things, but like the idea of having something that you can focus on, something mm-hmm. that you can apply your time and work, you know, your ethic to, to work on yes. something, the more you can make advancements on these things, like you go out and you clean your car, you feel better about yourself because you've mm-hmm. taken, you taken care of the disorganization that, you know, that sort of tickles in the back of your mind. So I get that. Um, and then you like were able to teach yourself skill sets, mm-hmm. which you know, and I say this to everybody, like there is a 14 year old kid in Eastern Europe who will teach you anything on the computer. Just go to YouTube. They're everywhere. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. That's why I mean, like, no, I did not go to grad school. You know, like, yeah. I did, I, there's YouTube. Um, I, I didn't certainly didn't have the money or like the wherewithal to navigate applications. You know, I had actually like visited some schools because that was another vision I had had for my life that just didn't materialize was I thought I was going to go to grad school. Like I'd like visited Yale. I visited NYU. I just, you know, I like visited their departments and like talked to people when I was in college, but uh, that did not materialize. But yeah, I, it is what it is. That's a situation I was in. And I, I made, I made something of it. I probably could have done better. (laughs) Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, listen, we can all get into that, that cycle of self hatred of, you know, thinking what we could have done better. No, I know. But I mean, it's, it's, it's an easy, easy thing to slide into. What, what were you trying to prosecute? Like emotionally or conceptually when you were sitting in that, you know, your old, your childhood bedroom making comic books, like, was there sort of like an, like an internal thing you were trying to prosecute? I think the only thing that I could probably have articulated at that time was I was in, so I I actually like the work I was making in that bedroom physically were these giant paintings um, that were so bizarre. They were like, it was, it was, it was like, so the idea was that the giant painting was like a section of my body. And so like with Kayla being say like 20 stories high, I don't okay. even know, what it is, but it just looked like skin. 
So it was like this like huge canvas with like like greasy looking flesh tone. And then I would take dolls and I would like cut their hair and put glue on it. And so then I would sprinkle the hair. So it just looked like like maybe like a giant close-up of a thigh. Okay. So I, real weird but that's the kind of work that i was making in that bedroom um like the pictures i have of that time like that's the work that's in in the background um so i was starting to think about my relationship to my body and like how fucked up that relationship is how sick that relationship is um and i now have a word for it it's called body dysmorphia i didn't at the time but so i think that's what i was interrogating is trying to sort of like figure out like what's going on here you know like I don't know. I was doing a lot of performance work at the end of my time in undergrad. So I did like video, video art and performance work and comics and painting. And I did like a giant wheat pasted poster, filled up a whole wall, all kinds of stuff. And that work was sort of like the seeds of interrogating my body. Um, and so then after that, that's what I was making. And then the comics work, I couldn't, I had no words for that. Mm -hmm. I had no words for that. Um, the reason that all of my comics are digital is actually a really interesting story. When I moved back to my bio dad's house and I was super sad, just so sad, broken person. I took like almost all the art I made in college and I threw it away. Mm. away. And I regret it so much, but I was mm. just like, I'm worthless. Like this takes up too much space. So like, I don't deserve to have this space anymore. So then I like slowly transitioned to being only a digital artist because it took up no space in the world. Um, and I've actually just become so comfortable with the form that I've carried it on, but I don't feel that way anymore about myself. Um, but yeah, so I was making this digital work, the comics work, uh, and I don't know, man, I don't, I, I couldn't tell you what I was getting at. No. I, I, I really didn't know. Um, I see now I can see it because of what was happening in my life at that time was so explicitly related to childhood trauma because mm -hmm. I'm like with my abusers. Um, so clearly I'm like trying to work through that and um, understand safety, you know, and like, are these people safe or are they not? Like they're my parents. Do they love me? They have to love me. Do they love me? Of course. The answer is they don't. But at the time I was like, you know, they have to love me. So I'd say that that early work was probably uh, interrogating like, those questions of safety and love um, because I was actively living with them very closely. It was yeah. my whole world was my bio family, my mom, dad, and brother, like that's, and my ex. Um, but that was the only community that I had in my life. It's fucking crazy. But, yeah. Jesus. <laughs> it's, uh, I mean, it's, I mean, it's, a, it's miraculous in, wonderful of what you're creating from that i know yeah you know like it, it's not like because it it doesn't have that self-congratulatory you know what was me navel gazing kind of good oh my god you know what i mean like that's 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 what you end up seeing a lot of you know and uh you know, so like it, it, it only begs more questions, you know, that kind of the, the work itself. So that's why, you know, I guess that's why we're talking. Um, yeah, it's, it, it's super, I mean, it's, and it's not like, like I said, it's, it's tricky 
you know, the work looking at it because you, you are really crafty in how you're presenting the stuff and how you're framing everything on a visual level and on a story level, even on your, your advertising level. I mean, it's all very, very clever, uh, in that respect. <laughs> What's your, like, like, I mean, it must pose some sort of challenge for you as a comic book creator at a table at a convention. Yeah. Yeah. Let's dig into that. That's a great question. Um, it's something that I've actually, as of SPX, um, I've only recently, as of then, have I figured out a healthy way to table um, in a way that is self-protective. So the history of me tabling, representing my work, um, I've tabled the whole time that I ran Nat Brute, the magazine, I tabled on behalf of them. So I was tabling at Zine Fest. I'm very experienced with all that shit but not ever talking about myself, just talking about other artists and amplifying them. And that was great. That was easy. And then I turned to focusing on my personal practice and like doing, starting to lay the groundwork to like get my name out there because I have a book coming out and uh, I have no boundaries. I just didn't know. I hadn't known how to talk about my work in a way that was self-protective because um, I'd never done it before. So my experience with tabling up until SPX this past October, I think it's September, um, has been really dramatizing, like really bad, actually. It's so sad because um, my life is actually very good. But then I table and I turn into a puddle and I'm like so triggered and I'm a mess because I'm having these like super meaningful connections with other survivors. Like I'm talking crying, yeah. hugging like very powerful experiences that have actually been like spiritually important to me. Um, I don't regret any of them, but almost every time after I have one of these connections, um, I have to go under my table and I have a panic attack, like, like for real. Um, it's just, yeah, it's not okay. It like, wasn't good for me. Um, and so then I would just like dread tabling and I wasn't making any money. I wasn't selling. I was, giving, I was giving, doing, performing profound emotional labor um, and getting something out of it. I really was like, I really was connecting. And that I think those experiences have been like fundamental to me believing in my own work because I know that it matters to people and I know that it's important. And without those experiences, I don't, I would not have known that. But since then, um, I, I'm just, I, I approach it with a different attitude. I approach it with like, yes, I am here my work is vulnerable, but you can connect with the work, not me. Right. Like you can, the work can hold my, the, my work can hold it for you. I cannot hold it for you. Um, right. because I to not have an actual panic attack five minutes after you walk away from me. Um, mm -hmm. because I do, I feel that shit. It's like someone tells you I'm a survivor and I've never said that before. Like, what do you do? How, what, how do you not have a panic attack? How do you right. not feel completely devastated by witnessing someone's pain in that way? Uh -huh. uh, it is so fucking serious. Um, so yeah. And, and I found that to be very effective. I still had, I was really like genuine with my connections with people, but I think just because I'd set that boundary within myself, I never even had to enforce it. So I think because I I would come with an openness of like, you don't need to buy my comics. You just need to talk to me. You know, that's what would happen. You know. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
so yeah, so this last experience and actually Noah, cause Noah, he saw, he saw all that happen. Like he witnessed it like mm -hmm. first bucket hand. Um, he saw, I made very little sales and like, he was like giving me snacks when I was like fucking weeping under the table, you know, like, oh. um, yeah. And yeah. So I think that, uh, he, he like talked to me and like, like gave me some guidance. Cause you know, his work is like very vulnerable too. Yeah. And he's been at it a lot longer than me. And so he gave me a lot of excellent tips for uh, how to be self-protective and how to center the work. And that like, you are here to sell your work. You are here to share your work. And like, that should be your intention. And I was like, you know what, Noah, I'm going to try it. And I did the very next fest. And I sold out of all my shit Hell yeah. away feeling so whole as a person. I was just like, I felt good. I was like, it just was different. Yeah. It was different. And so that is how I'm going to approach everything from now on. It's just, I start off, I am safe. I'm going to keep myself safe and like, period. And then things have gone well since then. Um, yeah. So I it really, that. I have so much to say about it. <laughs> no, I, I love that. And I, and I, and I'm, you know, I'm just clicking with so many of those things because, you know, being married to a fine artist, I see that, I see that in her, yeah. like, people come to her gallery and she gets so angry because mm -hmm. she's like, they're just coming and they're, they're, they're asking all these questions and they want to learn all this stuff and blah, 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 blah. And mm -hmm. it's, and she doesn't have that natural defense mechanism of just like, Hey, thanks for coming and just <laughs> do her thing and let them kind of, she gives and gives and gives. And she gets so frustrated and angry because, you know, listen, 99% of the people aren't out to buy anything who you engage right. with. And it's such a like, so your engagement was such a fine artist's approach of, you know, oh, let's connect. Let's have, yeah. you know, versus like, you know, hey, I did this work. Let the work fucking connect, you know, like that's the, wow. Yeah. 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 And it's so funny. Cause like, I don't know any car other cartoonists who it must be, I wonder if it's a fine artist thing. Cause other cartoonists, they don't, they're like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you know? no. Like, like no. no one's ever close to me. Why would they? They just buy my comics and they leave, you know? And I'm like, wow, that would be nice. But that's so interesting, man. I bet your wife and I could talk forever about <laughs> that. Oh experience. yeah. Yeah. I, and I, you know, listen, I think the, you know, ch you know, children of broken homes, children of, uh, you know, uh, uh, parents with addiction issues, like we're all, we're, we're primed for that sort of, you know, emotional sort of, bleh, we'll just give you all the emotions and all the, the attention and connection you want. And then, and the other people who aren't, they're sort of like, they're head down, they're doing their work They're, you know, like they'll answer the question and they just continue doing the thing. And we're just like, we like throw everything to the side and go, the lights are on. Let's do a thing. Yeah. Exactly. Oh mm -hmm. my God. You totally get it. Like exactly, dude. A hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I've, I, I've always been like that too. So yeah, no, I mean, it's, I, I, I get it. You know, thanks mom. Thanks dad. Um, exactly. <laughs> Because we're just like, we're like, we're so desperate to connect with someone to feel known, maybe, you know, right. yeah. we just give and we give and we give and we give and we give. And it just, you know, um, I think outside of actually like my relationship with my wife, I don't 
I don't know if it's ever really served me, you know, um, truly. Yeah. yeah. That ins that insanity is actually how I met my wife. Um, cause I met her on a bus and I just was like, here I am. Everything. <laughs> I love it. And you know, 10 years later we got married. So yeah. it worked out once. So I, I don't hate it, you know? <laughs> sure. Right. Well, I mean, but it's, it, it is that skill set that I mentioned earlier about how you were able to navigate, you know, the Harvard world, you know, exactly. like exactly. The, these are, these are, these are skill sets. These are, you know, these are semi predatory skill sets that you developed <laughs> to help you survive. You're like, all right, I can, that person looks like, Oh, they made a little eye contact a little bit longer than normal. Okay. They're no, they're a target, you know? <laughs> Maybe they'll love me. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe they'll love me. Yeah. Um, no, that's like the foundation of that instinct is like, that's why I've always had like mentors and I've always just like tried to be a good, I want to be good. Please let me be good. I'll be perfect for you. Just please. And then maybe you'll love me, you know? And I think that like that definitely somehow got my ass into Harvard and like got me where I am now. Like my life is like fucking dope, literally living out my dreams. And I, I think that that skill set definitely carried me through. But for, for me, like, it's just this, it's like my little six year old self, like truly trying to be as good as possible so that you'll love me. Mm. Like, it's so sad, but yeah, that's definitely like all, all the fancy people I've ever met in my life. Like, who I've wooed and all that I just, and I've just always just wanted so badly to be seen yeah. and to be cared for, you know, um, yeah, it's, it's tough. I mean, it's, it's, it's real tough. Um, but you know, I guess with that hard work that we were talking about earlier, you can get, you can get through all these things. It's not, you know, nothing is finite and, uh, you know, yeah. we, we yeah. all have the, we all have the capacity for it. It just, we may not be able to see it or feel it at the time, but it's there. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. And I think with recovery, I've been able to transmute all of those like uh, survival skills into something that has been like really, really life affirming and something I, I have the self-awareness so I can see what I'm doing. I can talk about it. If I see that like it's not serving me, like I have tools to examine that and like move in a different direction. Um, so like even, even like my mommy daddy complex, you know, like I've really, and I've done a lot of work to investigate that and to be, have much healthier relationships with older people in my life and not just like immediately desperately hope that they'll be my surrogate mom. You know right. what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. that's like a really unhealthy dynamic. So I think that, yeah, it's, it's, it's been a lot of work, but, um, yeah, it's been really helpful to have self-awareness with that um, and the desire to just not live in a toxic way anymore, you know, because I think for me personally, a lot of that helped me survive, but it also was very bad for me, <laughs> you know, and bad for the other person. It sets up a really unfair dynamic yeah. for me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we should, yeah. Well, we, we should look up for ourselves first and foremost, but we should also be wary of our actions to how, how they impact others. Um, right. So you're, you're putting all this stuff down and you're making things with this, you know, your life and your creativity. Tell me about the book. 
Oh, yes, I'm so excited. It comes out February 2025. I'm going to have a big launch event at Princeton. So I'm a Princeton Hotter Fellow, um, which like that supported the completion of the book. And so early February, I'm going to have a dope ass fucking event. Um, the book is it's good. It's a good book. It's a good book. You got to read it to find out. Um, follow me on Instagram at precious.rubbish. You can see little snippets of it. But the book is the it's a collection of all that work that I've mentioned that I made during that time, like, you know, with or without the words to explain what was happening to me. Um, and I've taken a decade's worth of autobiographical comics and I've sort of for the lightly reexamined it with my current perspective on the trauma. Um, some of it heavily reexamined, fully rewritten, fully redrawn. Um, but like the skeleton of like that work is in the book. Um, and then just an enormous amount of brand new content, which more uh, aggressively interrogates the trauma. Um, yeah. And, and it's all like done in the style of mid-century children's comics. So like I use those comics as like a vehicle to tell these stories. So everything in the book is referential. And I have like a very fat index in the back of the book where I attribute like where all of the referential material comes from. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, like you said, it's, it's very fun to look at. If you flip through it, it's like bright, beautiful colors. I'm a designer. So, you know, it looks fucking hot. Um, and then you read a little closer and it just sucks you into hell. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, um, there's a lot, there's a lot to say about it, but it, it's, I think I've found it difficult for people to wrap their heads around the work without seeing it. So the easiest way to understand what I'm doing is to just fucking look at it, you know? Um, so that might, yeah. If people are curious. Sweet. They can Google, yeah. So wait, I want to make sure 2024 or 2025. 25. I okay. pushed it a year. Okay. Yeah, good. Excellent. Yep. Yep. Got to get my ass back in therapy before yeah. <laughs> out into the world uh, and can't take it back. So. Right. Yeah. That's always a, it's always a challenge. Even, even with every episode I go, okay, well, I said stuff. I'm just going <laughs> to put it out there. <laughs> right. It's no fucking joke. It's yeah. no joke. Yeah. For the most part, I just block it out and pretend like it didn't happen. Sure. With the book, it's kind of hard because I'm going to go on tour and shit and like people are asking me questions. So yeah, I have to be really, really ready. Um, and I've made a commitment and I will be ready. I'm not ready yet, <laughs> but I will be. That's okay. You'll get there. Yeah, I, I will get there. I know yeah, I will. Yeah, yeah, totally. Well, thank you so, thanks so much for talking. This is, I've, I've been looking forward to this for a while and you know, I mean, you got the, you got the nod of, of encouragement, you know, from Noah, like, he's like, you definitely need to talk with her. I was like, all right, you know, oh, and, uh, I love that man. Yeah. And uh, this was an absolute, like, uh, I mean, it was a pleasure. It was hard, but it was a pleasure, you know? Good, good. Yeah. yeah. I hope, you know, as always just talking about this shit. Yeah. You know, it's hard. Um, yeah. It's hard. yeah. I hope, I don't know. Yeah. It's, I hope you'll, you're okay after like talking about all this stuff. It's hard. I listen. I can build a little shelter and shove it all in there quickly if I need okay, to. Okay, good. Um, <laughs> That's what I'm about to do. <laughs> yeah. No, it's just. I mean, this is like. I mean, I hope when every you know every time I have a conversation with a creator, you know, I'm trying to outline that it's not just 
none of this has to do with how many people like it on Instagram or whatever social media. Like there's a, there's a hard level of work in life that you have to do to do the thing that you want to do. And it's not just this, it's not about attention. It's about doing the thing. And Mm -hmm. some people do things that are directly reflective of who they are and their life's experience. Some people do things that are take super many hours to complete because of the detail that they involve with that. But that's, but nothing is easy. That's true. That's right. (laughs) Yeah. I think we both can attest to that. Yeah. All right. Well, Kayla, I really thank you. Yeah. Thank you. This was a delight. Yeah. I really, really appreciate you wanting to talk to me. Yeah. It means a lot.